that was that was a blessing. Make me a blessing. And great song. Very well done. Philippians chapter number three. Philippians chapter number three. We have spent several Sunday nights over the course of the year looking at our theme for the year, our hope being in the Lord. And I know there's overlap with some of these messages with the theme of hope, and this is probably going to be another message where there will be some overlap. But when I was studying and praying and considering what the Lord would have me to speak on tonight, I was drawn to Philippians chapter number 3 and the joy that Paul expresses in the book of Philippians and the rejoicing that Paul frequently mentions and is an overarching theme through the entire book and how that joy, there is a hope and an expectation in that joy and that forward-looking, that confident expectation brings joy even in the midst of a time of waiting or a time of suffering or a time of difficulty or a time of pain. There is the joy that comes from the Lord in the midst of that hope, of that confident expectation of what God is doing or what uh, the results uh, may be in, in God's perfect time and God's perfect plan. So we go to Philippians uh, chapter number 3. And we see here that Paul is writing in his testimony in Philippians 3 in one of the passages of Scripture that speak to Paul's personal testimony. But he starts off in Philippians 3 in verse number 1, and he addresses this group of believers, and he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. So here's Paul, and he's getting ready to go into his testimony, which Paul shares uh, in different places throughout his epistles. But he goes into some detail, and we'll get to that here in just a little bit. But he says to the brethren there, to the people of Philippi, he reminds them again to rejoice in the Lord, and he says, I'm writing the same things to you. And... He says, it is not grievous for me to write the same things. It it, it may seem like a burden. It may seem grievous. And again, I can't help but relate to what Paul is saying as a parent or even as a teacher. I've been in the classroom many a time, and I know I frequently have mentioned it here about the importance of repetition. There's a saying in education that repetition, repetition aids learning. And uh, we'll touch on that even a little later in the message. But here is Paul, and he's saying, I'm repeating something that I know that you know. And I'm not grieved by having to repeat this. But we get sometimes weary as teachers or as parents, having to go back over the same thing. And what's that saying that we probably have had passed down from generation to generation to generation? Have I not told you a thousand times? I know I heard it from my parents, and I've repeated it to my children. I know as a teacher, often coming into the classroom, going back and repeating a little bit of yesterday's lesson, the importance of going over the material before a test or a quiz, 
And then there would be those students who would expect us to just give them every answer that's on the quiz or the test and just repeat that question over and over and over. And so when they get the test or the quiz, they just basically know it all by memory. They know exactly what's going to be on the quiz or the test. And then they cry unfair if the teacher doesn't give them exactly everything that's going to be on the test or the quiz ahead of time, right? In the same format, the perfect format, exactly the way it's going to look on the quiz or the test. And the teacher's been cruel, you know, if they, if they haven't uh, given them everything ahead of time, exactly the way it's going to be. But the importance of repetition, of rehearsing, of going back over, and Paul says, I'm not grieved by having to repeat this to you. And he says, for you it is safe. It is a good thing for you. And again, we come back to the, the importance of the repetition of the principles, the promises, and the commands of the Lord. We need them. We drive down the same road day after day, week after week, and we read the same signs. But it's still good for those signs to be there. It's still good for us to be reminded. There is a turn at this point. There is this exit. Because what do we do, especially in today's world with all the distractions? And we're never on our phones while we're driving down the road. Never. That never happens. But just in case we were ever to be on our phone or be distracted in a conversation, it's good to have those reminders. It's good to have those signs that remind us that... Uh, once again, tell us, okay, you need to take heed here, you need to be careful here, you need to turn here, or whatever the case may be. So as we think of the, the joy of hope, we see Paul writing here, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And this is a common theme, the book of Philippians, the theme of the book of Philippians is joy or rejoicing. It's an overarching theme. And here's Paul writing from prison. And he brings us back to this simple statement, rejoice in the Lord. And that reminds us of the joy that we have that comes in the Lord. True joy comes from one source, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes from God himself. He is the true source of lasting, real, authentic joy. And Paul is, in this simple phrase, he is reminding us of that. In this reminder of rejoice in the Lord, speaks to the fact that we have a Savior. We rejoice in that we have a Savior. Think about the false religions. We spent some time in Sunday school this morning, and we addressed the distinctness of Christianity just a little bit during our time in, in the Sunday school hour. And this is, this is unique to Christianity, this fact that we have a God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, the incarnation, to die on the cross for the sins of mankind. There is a cause for joy. There is a cause for rejoicing in the simple fact that we have a Savior. Think about our sinful condition. We need to be rescued it is an awful feeling to be in a place where there is no help, where you are struggling and there's no one, nothing to provide any kind of aid or assistance. That is a miserable place to be. We, without Christ in our sinful condition, are in a desperate, difficult, condemned state. We need a Savior. And so in our rejoicing and our joy, 
we recognize that we have a Savior. We consider our condition, and then we consider our soul. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when we consider our soul, we consider eternity. The joy that comes in our rejoicing in the Lord comes in the fact that we have a Savior, we have a condition that causes us to need a Savior, and God provided that Savior. And that salvation is not temporary. It's not a short-time or short-term fix for a problem. When we get saved, we get saved for, our, for eternity. Our soul is saved for all eternity. And we read back in Philippians chapter 1, in verse number 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. How is there a joy in hope? There's the hope of the eternal redemption, and we have the deposit, the guarantee of that eternal redemption right now. And it is a promise for all eternity. Our condition was hopeless and helpless, but we have a Savior. And in turning to Christ in repentance and faith, He saves us from our sin, He redeems our soul, and it's for all eternity. So there is a joy in the hope of the promise of eternal life. An incredible joy. And again, this is a distinct relationship that we have as believers, as Christians, with the God of the universe through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I I want us to keep coming back to this and keep considering this because we live in a world today, we live in a culture today, we are bombarded with self, with me, with my truth, with expressing myself, with my identity, with who I am, take it, accept it, celebrate it, no matter how vile or wicked, the things that we hear now in our culture, it's just disgusting sometimes. It's it's discouraging sometimes. It makes us angry with a righteous anger for the, the, the sin that is now told to be celebrated. And if we don't, we're going to lose rights and freedoms and privileges in our culture. But we see in the Lord the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the relationship that we have in Jesus Christ, that is where our identity is. One of the reasons that we sang the song, I chose the song that we just sang, Not I, But Christ, and I should have marked it, But one of the reasons that we sang this song, I believe it was 537. Verse number 3, Christ, only Christ, ere long will fill my vision. Glory excelling soon, full soon I'll see. Christ, only Christ, my every wish fulfilling. Christ, only Christ, my all in all to be. There the writer is speaking of 
our fulfillment, our satisfaction, our joy is in Jesus Christ. We lose ourselves in him and we gain. We are, again, captivated with this world, with all the allurements of the world, and we're warned that it is not good, it is condemning to gain the whole world, but to lose our own soul. And how dangerous it is. There are many, many, many people today who are trying to gain the world, but in doing so are losing their own soul. And so this song is a great reminder of how we have a Savior, and that salvation is for eternity. We're not going to lose our salvation. We're not going to get pulled. We're not going to get plucked out of the Father's hand. We're secure in Him. Once saved, always saved. And that is an eternal promise. And we have great rejoicing and joy in that. So we have joy from one source, the true source, true joy. The source being God Himself. And we rejoice in that we have a Savior, and then we rejoice in that we have such a Savior. These are not exhaustive. This is not an exhaustive list of the uh, character traits, the character of our God, His attributes. This is not an exhaustive list. But He pardons. He gives peace. Philippians chapter number 4, and over in verses 6 and 7, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He has a peace that passes all understanding, that comes through trust and faith in Christ, and our requests being made known unto Him, and His peace is beyond our understanding, it's beyond comprehension. It's beyond our ability to fully explain in our human language, in our, in our words, in our vocabulary. And I think that all of us as believers, I think every genuine believer experiences the peace of God in salvation, first of all. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so there's the peace that we have with God. There's the peace then that we have of God, the peace of God. And as believers, genuine believers, there are moments in our lives where we have nothing, no other resources, but we find at those moments that Christ is enough and he brings peace. And I can think of moments in my life of great difficulty, of great struggle, and I've experienced the peace of God. I often think of one particular moment where I took my dad to that uh, last appointment with his oncologist, and the oncologist came out and said, there's nothing more we can do for you. And he described that he was going to have to call hospice care. And my dad and I drove home, and I mean, God gave peace. I remember the peace of God. God gave me a verse that morning in my devotions, knowing I was going to be taking my dad to that appointment. And God used that verse from the book of Psalms to give me great peace, a peace that passes all understanding. To go through that appointment and to spend those moments with my dad, they, they, were, they were difficult 
moments, but there was an incredible peace and assurance that God gave me throughout that, throughout that day and in the next six months. And we've experienced that as believers. We've experienced that peace in different moments. And we're thankful for it. He supports us in trials and temptations. He comforts us and he satisfies. I go back to another song tonight. It's going to be a little bit of a, uh, a hymn history, I guess, in a sense. But we, we think of Christ satisfying and uh, we're familiar with a, a song. I was reminded of this song speaking with uh, Bill and Penny Young uh, last week. Uh, a song that I heard sung many a, a time growing up. And I remember a particular uh, gentleman in our church who every time he sang a solo, it seemed like he would sing this song. And it reminds me again of uh, our, our, our Savior, Christ, who satisfies. And we probably know the song, I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. The singer, the famous singer of that song was George Beverly Shea, who gave up a lucrative singing career in order to sing for the Lord and minister in song all around the nation and around the world. He took a poem that was given to him by his mother, a poem by Mrs. Ray Miller, and he put that poem into the words that I just read. And he sang that song to the glory of the Lord. And many of us have sung it or heard that song sung. And it's a great testimony of the satisfaction that only Christ can bring. Another great song that I must make reference to, we sang this morning, and I'm not sure if I I uh, brought the right hymnal up here, but we sang this song this morning, Be Thou My Vision, and uh, I think I left the, I did, I left the hymnal over there, 462 in our hymnals from this morning, we sang uh, Be Thou My Vision, and this is a, a great uh, old Irish hymn from many years ago, and we read, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart, high King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Do we have that kind of treasure in the Lord? We take great delight and treasure in so many things that this world offers that we can buy with money. But all those things get old, they rust, they corrupt, they fade. We have to keep putting money into our houses, into our cars, into our lands. We have to keep doing maintenance on everything from our HVAC, and Bronson says amen to that. <laughs> we have to keep putting maintenance into all of the different mechanical devices. We even have to buy new phones because Apple will cause the operating system to quit working, or the computer will break down, or... 
the apps no longer work or the system is no longer updated. Everything that we have in life, it seems, even new pews, we, we, we are replacing pews, carpet wears out. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And our faith never wears out in the sense that our faith is in Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. Yes, our faith can be weak and we don't trust like we should, but it's not because the object of our faith is fading. It's not because the object of our faith is somehow not measuring up, is having a bad day, or is weak, or is having a cold, or allergies, or is sick, or is out on vacation, or is asleep. No, our God is always faithful in every way at all times. And his character never changes. His faithfulness is, is every day, all the time. And his mercies are new every single morning. We have a Savior. We have a Savior who pardons, gives peace, supports, comforts, and satisfies. And that is in that phrase, rejoice in the Lord. So we've seen the source of this joy. But finally, also tonight, in uh, the second and final point of the message tonight, joy continues through ongoing steadfastness. Joy continues through ongoing steadfastness. Again, Philippians 3, in verse number 1, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. In other words, again, there's this repetition, there's this reminder, there's this rehearsal. Paul is saying, I keep bringing these things up, but it's not a, grief, it's not a grievance to me. It's not a burden to me. Because we need to be reminded. We need to rehearse these truths. We need to repeat these truths. We need this. It's good for us. And I think of all the time and energy that's put into practicing for a performance. I'm sure Nate put many uh, minutes and hours into this one uh, opportunity to minister in song tonight. And he may have put many minutes and hours into this one song, but this one song is actually the product of many minutes and hours previous, and whether it be a trombone or a piano or any kind of musical instrument, to really become proficient at it, it takes hours. It takes dedication. Often repeating the same chords and repeating the same uh, slide motions and repeating the same fingering or whatever it is, over and over and over and over and over. Uh, three of our four children have taken piano lessons, and none of them play the piano to this day. Oh, they might be able to play little chords, little simple songs that they remember, maybe Jesus Loves Me, or something like that, or something simple along those lines. But the hours of practice, the dedication the repetition over and over and over. Well, it gets tedious at times. Not everybody is able to complete the time that is necessary to actually become proficient or become good at it. There's so many examples of repetition and rehearsing, practicing for a ball game. I remember our coach would go over certain plays, especially when it came to breaking the press as a basketball player. We would go over and over and over and over 
passing the ball in. Where do you pass it next? And everybody needs to be in the right place. And as soon as we would make a, a bad pass and the other team would steal it, we'd go right back and back out of bounds and go over it. Because our coach knew we were going to get pressed. Full court, half court, traps. And he wanted it to be instinctive. Especially for us as point guards or the person throwing the ball in. And where to throw the ball. And he would tell us over and over and over, you don't break the press by dribbling. You break the press by passing. And so we would get that hammered into our heads. And so my boys are playing basketball and I can hear my coach and I can catch myself sometimes saying it. Don't try to dribble your way out of the press. Don't try to dribble out of the trap. Pass the ball. Why? Because we need to be ready in the moment of the pressure, of the temptation, of the difficulty, ready to respond with the promise, the command, the principle of God's word and apply it in that moment to bring honor and glory to the Lord. So as we think of the joy that continues through ongoing steadfastness, I think of Psalm 30 and verse 5, for his anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Where was Paul writing this epistle from? From prison. This is one of the prison epistles. Here is a man in prison. Now, this is the Roman dungeon prison. This is not the state penitentiary with all the politically correct, defund the police, don't be too hard on the criminals, right, of all the liberal... Uh, left ideas about how we reform and rehabilitate criminals today, right? We let them back out into society. Uh, we give them cable TV and on and on it goes. This is not that kind of a prison. There was no cable TV. There was no exercise room. There was no college education so you can be a smarter criminal when you get out, okay? There was no vice president offering a bailout Okay, there was nobody who was providing some sort of comfortable condition for, for Paul as he's in the Roman prison. The Roman prison, I know eventually he would become under house arrest and he'd be alleviated from some of the difficulties. But the typical Roman prison was basically a dungeon. Cold, clammy, damp. It was a place where they would get very little food. They wouldn't get three meals a day on taxpayer money. Okay, it was a difficult place. And what was Paul doing? He's ministering to the churches. He's writing to the churches. He's preaching through his pen. And as often as he would be visited, he would preach and he would witness. And eventually under house arrest, as he's chained to Roman guards, he's preaching the gospel to the Roman guards and people are getting saved even while he's in prison. So he's writing in prison, and he writes with a purpose. Again, we go back to, it's not grievous for me to write this. For you it is safe. It is a good thing. It's important. This is necessary. And he warns them in verses 2 and 3 against false teachers. In Philippians 3 and verse 2, notice what he says. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. He says, in, in our joy, we must be steadfast in the truth. So for us to experience true, lasting joy and peace, we remain steadfast to the truth of God's Word. We will have our joy stolen 
We will have our peace stolen. Not that we lose our salvation, but believers can lose the joy of the Lord. They can lose the peace of the Lord by wrong teaching, by false doctrine. We, we were talking in the morning service today about the false shepherds, the thieves, the robbers, the hirelings. And if we begin to listen to them, they will steal our joy. They will create doubt. They will bring discouragement and can lead us into sin that affects our testimony and can bring reproach on the name of Christ. So he warns about these. And again, I can't help but uh, think of how Paul, Paul, Paul doesn't mince words, does he? He calls them dogs. Dogs were not pampered pets with dog universities and Pittsburgh, whatever this is down here, with air condition kennels with all the amenities that are better than some of the hotels that are probably found in town here. Dogs weren't treated that way. Dogs were scavengers. They were not domesticated. Um, so this was a derogatory term. Okay, Paul's warning of these false teachers, and he calls them dogs, evil workers. And we don't have time to get into all the, uh, the description there. And then he goes on in his testimony, he speaks to the wonder of salvation in verses 4 through 11. And he gives his spiritual pedigree, and then eventually down in verse number 10, that I may know him in the, in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He declares the wonder of salvation and speaks to salvation by uh, faith alone in Christ alone. And then in verses 12 through 19, he speaks to walking with the Savior. He speaks to that relationship with God that we have by pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. To maximize the time that God has given us, to use our talents, our treasures, our abilities, everything that God has equipped us with, to use it in the service of the Lord and to further His kingdom. I know I say it often, but... Lazy, apathetic, complacent Christianity is a scourge upon our society and it's a scourge in the church today. So many believers are afraid to do anything that is uncomfortable for the Lord. When Jesus Christ demands in our discipleship that be willing to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow Him. And we look at the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and yet so few Christians are willing to sacrifice and give their all because it might take them out of their comfort zone. It might be hard. It might be painful. But Paul is saying, I press toward the mark. And he is driven. He is striving, hoping that he has an opportunity to leave prison and go and to serve again and to preach the gospel, knowing it may put him right back in prison again. Paul's basically saying, I can't wait to get out because I want to go preach again. And the very thing that put me here, I can't wait to go do it again. And it doesn't matter if I end up being back here or if it costs me my life. I'm going to press. I'm going to strain for the mark. And then he brings us to the, the final moment of, or the final matter of joy. And that is watching for the Savior. Watching for the Savior. Verses 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, 
that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. There's a joy in the hopeful expectation of the return of Jesus Christ, of his coming again. Our citizenship is in heaven. It is there. God has given us a purpose and a time here on earth to serve him, to share the gospel, and to be effective in the service of the Lord. But we are looking forward to the glories of heaven. That's where our citizenship is. That's where our hope lies. That's essentially where we are looking and longing for. We're pilgrims and strangers here on the earth. So there is a joy in the hope of looking forward to the eternal kingdom, the eternity that we will spend with Jesus Christ, with God forever. I close with an illustration that many of us, as all of us as parents, specifically mothers, the joy that comes with expecting a child. It's sad to me that our culture is telling young ladies that pregnancy is a poison. It is a curse. This, this, uh, this pro-abortion lies and evil is even encouraging mothers to, to hate their offspring, to hate the joy of bearing a child. It's an incredible blessing. It's a joy. And I know that we as men, we have to be careful sometimes because we don't go through <laughs> the, the pain. We don't go through the, 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 the labor of bearing a child. So in some ways we have to be careful. But I can't help but think of this in the illustration of what Paul is saying in, in the longing for. There's a joy right now in looking forward to heaven. There is a joy of a mom and dad, or there should be, when done according to God's way and God's order, and even when it's not done according to God's way and God's order, there's still a joy in bringing a life into the world. That child is not a curse. That child is still a gift of the Lord. Okay? But there is something special. I remember, I mentioned it this morning, I think in Sunday school, but I remember when uh, Kelly first showed me the pregnancy test, that, that she was pregnant with Emily. And I had, I had one of those, those dad moments. I'm going to be a father. And there was a fear that came over me, and there was a joy that came over me. And it's life-changing. But there was an expectation. We began preparing right then and there for our child being born. And there was a joy in that throughout those nine months. There was a hope and there was a joy. And yes, was there some pain? Were there some long days? Were, and I know she experienced <laughs> the vast majority of it. Swollen ankles and a hot summer and being down at the wilds and, and uh, being up in uh, Niagara Falls on a mission trip and uh, walking around, and she's seven, eight months pregnant. I forget how many months pregnant. And, and, and then that long day where we were in the hospital there and at St. Vincent waiting for Emily to be born and the hours of labor. But there was weeping for a night, for a season, but joy cometh in the morning. 
And Jesus even makes the reference in John 16, verse 21, to a mother giving birth to a child and how there is, for go- there is going to be for a time, he's saying to his disciples, there's going to be a time of, of weeping, of sorrow. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to go into the grave. But there is a joy. There is a resurrection and an ascension. And I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, And so I I can't help but think of that by way of illustration, that we long for heaven. We look for the Savior, but we have a joy, a steadfast joy right now as we live obedient lives. And we are, yes, sometimes afflicted with pain, with some struggles, with some difficulties, just like an expectant mother has as she's preparing to, to give birth to a child. There are some pains and some struggles, but there's a joy throughout every stage. And going in and seeing the ultrasound and hearing the heartbeat and feeling the first kick of the baby and then the incredible joy of seeing that child born and holding that child for the first time. It's a special gift from the Lord and it's a great illustration of the joy that we have of hope as we hope in the Lord as we live for him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the joy that comes through Jesus Christ, through a personal relationship with you, through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, in a day, in a world in which there is so much anxiety and stress and so little hope and so little joy with pursuits of fleeting, empty happiness that produces no real lasting joy, that only furthers the sorrow and the emptiness and the despair. I pray, Lord, that we will be a distinct people who has joy in the Lord, joy in our hope as we look forward to the day of your coming and entering into glory and being in your presence forever. Lord, as we look forward to that day of being in your presence, may we be faithful now and obedient in serving and pressing toward the mark and looking for your coming and looking with awareness, with sobriety, with work, with effort, with obedience, with preparation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.